writing to a people who are suffering tremendous persecution. They're confused. They're in the dark, you might say, with regard to all that God is doing. And we can all relate to that at different times in our life. We, we go through uh, very painful things in life. Um, this isn't heaven, and we're reminded of it about daily, multiple times through the course of the day. And uh, I titled this morning's message, and I shared this with you last week, uh, The Purpose of Pain. And we're going to look at that, the purpose of pain and how God uses that in our lives. But before we, you know, we do, I was, I was thinking about that a lot this week. You know, would you agree, just by a show of hands, that you can learn a lot about people by what they have in their refrigerator? Raise your hand if you that. If you could, if you could just open somebody's refrigerator, do you think you could kind of make an assessment about their? Maybe it's judgmental. I don't know, but you go, but you, but you go. I, I think I can. So on top of that, how many would believe that you could make and learn a lot about people by what they have on their refrigerator? Okay, we're not going to open their refrigerator. That would be snooping, right? None of us have ever done that. Have you ever looked in somebody's refrigerator? You're at their house. Hey, let's see what they got in there. But uh, but what's on their refrigerator? Anybody have stuff on your refrigerator? Got those magnets? How many have those magnets like you, when you go like to another state or a country and you buy it just has the, you know, and it's the funny thing on it, it just says Hawaii, right? And it's got like a coconut or a palm tree or something and you get that magnet. But then every time you see it, what happens? You get depressed because you're not there. No, <laughs> no, but you, you go the, I, at our house, you know, we, they're not, I don't know why they don't stick there anymore, but uh, you can only put it on the side and now, we remodeled our kitchen and it's got sides. There's panels on there now. So you can't get stuff on the side of it. So my wife's trying to figure out where do we, where do we put all this, you know, tremendous artwork. How many have like your children or your grandchildren's artwork? It's on your, your refrigerator. Yeah. That's like, it's, it's awesome to be able to have that. How many have like pictures of like your favorite vacation or, um, how many have a picture of yourself on there so that you just remind yourself, do not eat anything that is inside of this, uh, this refrigerator here? No, but uh, I, one of the years ago, I remember reading this and I'm reminded of it. I have it always in my notes, uh, and especially I thought about it this week with regard to uh, all the things that are happening, uh, not only in the world, but just in this text as, as I was studying it. And uh, some of you heard it. Some of you probably have written it out at, at one time or another. But it said this, be kinder than necessary as everyone is fighting some kind of battle. And, and it's such a, just a great reminder, you know, for us as the church, you know, and coming off of a really, probably one of the most, you know, heated uh, presidential elections in the history of our country. Like I said, where we really are as a country divided as a people. And, and, and really time is going to tell uh, that this is, this could be the church's greatest hour. You know, John's been teaching on revival, and uh, uh, those of us that have been there and listened, you know that you, you need it, and you seek it in your life, that God would constantly revive us. This world is doing everything to pull us back and to pull us down, and, and so to constantly ask God to revive us. And then and, and we do that, and we pray that, okay, Lord, so you're going to bring revival. Well, true revival, there, there's always two demarcations of true revival. One is that the person has changed, you know, that there's a group of people that experience revival and, and there's an evidence uh, of that change in their life. But secondly, if true revival breaks out in the church, the community in which the revival takes place in the church is changed as well. That's really the sign. We know that from the book of Acts, right? As, as revival happened, as the church was birthed, then the community was able to take notice that, of that. They saw it and it changed them as well. And so we do pray for revival. And it's not just that we want revival for us. I mean, I would think we all agree. We want revival for our country, amen? And, and so who's the change agent in that? You go, that's me and that's you. But how we're gonna get there is probably not the method or the road that many of us would think. It's not as easy, you know, as some might say. It, it actually is the road less traveled. Jesus said, narrow is the way and difficult is that way. And he said, there are few there be that find it. But he said, the way of destruction is broad and wide. He said, many will be on that road. You know, and so as we, we look at this this morning, I want to just take a moment with you. We'll read this together. We're really going to focus on one particular verse, maybe two in 1 Peter 3. But I want to read it in context so that you can get it. So I think you'll get the gist of it here. It's one of the most complex uh, texts in the New Testament. Uh, I'll, I'll share a couple of things that Martin Luther shared with regard to this text. 
So we're just going to skip over that. It just makes it easy. We'll go with what we do know. It says, Pastor Chuck said, you know, never trade what you do know for what you don't know. So we'll go with the passages that we really can understand. The rest of them, we just go, this is what it says. But I really, to be honest with you, I can't tell you what it means because I don't know what it means, to be honest with you. I don't know anybody that really knows what it means. I mean, we have guesses and, and that's what we do. We try to put it together the best that we can, but, uh, but I think we can get the context of this and especially in light of suffering. In verse 18, it says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the spirit by whom he went and he preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into the heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. See, it's a pretty simple passage, right? I mean, you just read that. You, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor Mike. It made perfect sense to me, you know, and I read it. I think there's parts of it we go, I get that, but there's some things in there that are a little bit cloudy, and, and it really is true. Let's take a moment, and we'll ask God to, to give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Holy Spirit would speak to us through it. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for uh, the ability to own a Bible, to live in a country where, God, we can possess your word. And this morning, we pray that your word would possess us. It's not that we own Bibles. Uh, uh, that's just part of it. It's, it's really, does our Bible own us? Uh, it's not, are we in the Word of God, but is the Word of God in us? And Lord, that's why we're here today. And I thank you for each and every person here, those that are watching online. May you bless us. May you bless them today. And Lord, may our city, uh, may our state, may our country be blessed through the body of Christ today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you, you recall, like I said, Peter... Was written. This is a was considered a general epistle. He's not writing it to a specific group of people or to a church or anything. Uh, you know, Caesar Nero's in power, uh, and the church is is suffering tremendous persecution. They're being killed uh, for their faith, and he's reminding us, you know, that pain and suffering are just they're part of the Christian life. He never talks about you know how long pain lasts. I mean, we look at that in scripture. We're always how long is this? How long? We see that that in scripture. How long? God, how long am I there? Am I going to suffer? But it's never answered as we look at it in Scripture. But we know that you know Jesus suffered, and we that Jesus suffered for us, and we get to see through Peter here and through Paul what we'll read in in Romans a little bit how Jesus came out on the other side of suffering. So he, Peter's showing us that there's a purpose for our pain, and that's really the reason why. I wanted to bring this text to us today. It's in context of, like I said, what we're studying, but but we can take a moment and really focus in on it because it's something that touches all of our lives. And Peter does it in a way, he does it through bringing out to us, you know, the purpose of pain. And we see it in Jesus' life. It was through his life. It was through his death and it was through his resurrection. And so we want to take a look at that. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, we're going to kind of look at that verse 18 in three parts. There's an A being a C to it. So the first part of that, he says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. You know, and again, and if there was ever anyone who suffered unjustly for doing nothing wrong, it's Jesus, right? I mean, nothing can compare to what Jesus Christ went through for us. We, we've all suffered because we deserve to suffer. We did something wrong and, and we call it what? Consequences, right? Jesus did nothing wrong. He was perfect in every way, every way, fashion, and form. But it says that he suffered and he died. And we know that he died an excruciatingly painful death. And it's interesting that word excruciating, it literally means from the cross. When you think about that, excruciating. And really it, it depicts the, the worst form of, of, of ancient torture that as we understand from the word, from the cross. You know, the Romans didn't invent crucifixion. The Persians did, but the Romans perfected it. They practiced, you know, they say practice makes perfect, right? They came up with ways that could just literally, I mean, torture you to no end. And then ultimately we know that what Roman soldiers eventually would do is they would break your legs, right? And they would do that to make the torture 
the most painful, but this was usually after two or three days when you were on the cross. And so, you know, as you would have to push down on that nail that uh, they used, they, they pierced your feet. Well, you'd have to push up to be able to breathe, to get air into your lungs. And so just right before, as they've tortured you and left you there for a few days, right before you're going to die, they just decide, hey, we can make it a little bit worse. And what they did was they broke your legs. And then that you no longer could push up. And then basically you died of asphyxiation. You suffocated. There's probably no more painful way. Slow, slow, painful death. And that's exactly what they put Jesus through. And so Peter kind of puts our pain into perspective by reminding us, you know, what Jesus went through. And not just on, on the cross, but what he went through on the days leading up to the cross. You, you recall the, the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And we, and we read this, you know, always on Good Friday, we talk about this, that what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane is Jesus was praying, right? He was, it says that he was distressed. It says that his soul was troubled. It was stressed within him. And so much so that he's praying to the Father, and, and we don't comprehend everything about it. We take a lot of educated guesses. But he said, Father, but if there's any way for this cup to pass from my lips, not my will, but thine be done. And in that, it says that, that, that the blood capillaries below his face began to burst. The stress and the strain was so great that he began to perspire blood. I mean, that, that's stress, right? And, and, and obviously, you know, in our, those in our medical profession, it's, it's a proven fact. It's not something that, you know, is an uncommon occurrence. But it takes tremendous stress to bring that about. And so not only the cross, but that leading up to it. And the interesting thing about it was we we're going, what was so stressful? Because he kept saying, he said, destroy this temple in three days, you know, I'll raise it up. And he said, you know, it wasn't that he didn't know he was going to the cross. He could prepare in a sense for that. He, he'd seen it, you know, those things, you can watch it. But what he couldn't prepare for was being cut off from the father. To know that that relationship that he'd enjoyed for all of eternity was about to be severed. When, again, on the cross where the father would turn his back on his own son. When he who knew no sin, he didn't sin, he became sin for us in that moment. How, how can you prepare for something that you have no knowledge, in the truest sense, even of God, no knowledge, you've never sinned? And so that's kind of beyond our, our, our capacity to, that's where your head will just swell and you just go, okay, I get it, but I don't get it. I, I understand it, but I really don't understand it. And, and that's really true, you know, for all of us. And then we know that he went from there and he was tried what he went through six different trials, right? And they were all just trumped up charges. None of them were real. So much so that Pilate goes, hey, I'll wash my hands of this one innocent man. But it says, but then they, they beat him. And it says, scripture tells us in Isaiah that they beat him, what? Beyond recognition. That if you'd have looked upon him, you couldn't even have, have known that it was Jesus at that point that he was scourged, that they flogged him, that, you know, with a, a cat of nine tails, and there was a whip with bone and metal fragments in it, you know, about 18 inches long. And when they would beat him with that, what it would do? It would just ripped open his flesh, where you literally could see inside. And you go, the suffering. I mean, are we, we're talking about to a degree you and I cannot comprehend. I mean, if it had been any one of us, we would have died, you know, long before the cross. But, you know, again, but the love of God, the love of God could compel him. Hebrews 12, 4, we're reminded, it says, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And I point that out because when we look at our suffering, can, is it really fair for us to compare it to Jesus' suffering in the truest sense? No. But on one level, we can. Is that pain is pain, right? I mean, if you're if you're hit or you're beaten, I mean, so there is a physical aspect of the pain that we can relate to that Jesus went through. And, and we have a right to share in that and, and to understand that. But it's that spiritual pain that we can't comprehend. It's that emotional pain that's at such a different level that we really can't comprehend. To think that he took the weight of the world on his shoulders, that he died for the sin of what? All humanity. Every person who's ever lived, he died for. You know, it's, it's really beyond, like I said, comprehension. Spurgeon, he recalled the heroic suffering of one godly man. He said this, I remember reading in Fox's Book of Martyrs the story of a man of God 
who was bound to a stake to die for Christ. And there he was, calm and quiet, till his legs had been burned away. And the bystanders looked to see his helpless body drop from the chains as black as coal, and not a feature could be discerned. But one who was near was greatly surprised to see the poor black carcass open its mouth. And two words came out of it. And what do you suppose they were? Sweet Jesus. It says, and then the martyr fell all over the chains, and at last his life was gone. David Guzik commentating on this in 1 Peter 3 reminds us, he said, that saint had the sweet presence of Jesus to help him through his horrible suffering. But Jesus did not have help on the cross. Instead, God the Father treated him as if he were the enemy, as the target of, of the righteous wrath of God. In this sense, the suffering of Jesus on the cross was worse than any ever suffered by a martyr. Perhaps not worse in the physical pain suffered, but certainly in the spiritual suffering and total experience. And I think we can understand that, right? Yeah. And yet Peter here, verse 18, reminds the church that was facing persecution that Jesus himself died a physical death, that they weren't alone. That's, that's, that's comforting to know that we're not alone. You know, sometimes it's good. And, and maybe the most comforting words that you can hear from another person as you share your heart and your hurts and your pains and your sorrows is when they look you in the eye with tears and they go, you too? And it's just that, that they understand, that they, they relate. And we have a God that relates to the hurt and to the pain and to the suffering. No one ever has to suffer alone. Jesus had to suffer alone. And he did it for me and he did it for you. First Peter 3, 18, the B, moving on in that, tells us the purpose for Jesus' pain. It says that he might bring us to God. There, there's a purpose. There's a purpose in every pain. God never wastes a hurt. One of my, my favorite pastors, Ed Taylor from Calvary Chapel, uh, Aurora, Colorado, uh, he had a son, Eddie, uh, that died. Um, he was a firefighter and uh, just was mow mowing the yard, told his wife, I'll be there in a, in a minute, uh, just finishing up. And then he, he had a cardiac arrest and, and fell over and died. And I can't remember his age, but he was somewhere, I think somewhere between eight, 28 and like 32 years of age. Just a wonderful son. And uh, Pastor Ed is uh, just finishing up a book about uh, that pain and that suffering that, that comes through that. And uh, I wrote him, you know, yesterday when he posted, I just said, you know, hey, God never wastes a hurt, you know, and thanking him for, you know, being transparent and sharing, um, you know, what he's gone through. And it'll be such a help because we all suffer loss. We, we all suffer hurt. We all suffer sorrow. Those, those are books that are, that very much speak to each and every one of us, whether we've lost a child or not. We've all suffered loss and, and different things. And so that, that's one of the wonderful things about the body of Christ is we have the ability to come together and to care for one another. First Peter 3.18, like I said, it reveals the good there behind the bad. It says that he might bring us to God. So Jesus' death on the cross here, it's made possible for us to what? To go beyond the veil. That, that, that's what we see, that he brought us to God. And you, you think about this, that he... he, he paved the way. He paid the way. You could say both of those things so that we could come into the, the presence of God. We know that when, when Jesus died, what does scripture tell us? That, you know, as he died, it says that, that the veil of the temple was what? It was torn, right? But it doesn't say from the bottom to the top, like somebody went in there and ripped it open. It says from the top to the bottom, that it was God himself who tore it. And why? Well, it gave access into the most holy place where, see, before that moment in time, the only person who could go beyond the veil was who? Was the high priest. But now, as the writer of Hebrews says, now we can come, what, boldly before the throne of grace in our time of need and to see what, what Jesus has accomplished for us. And so we look at suffering and we look at pain and how God never wastes a hurt. You know, I put my notes here, and out of the world's greatest evil came God's greatest good. That's what we have to hold on to. When you're going through suffering and pain, it doesn't make any sense to you. It makes perfect sense to God. He never wastes a hurt. He's working in and through it. That, that's the promise that we have from him. His suffering led to death, but his death led to what? To life. That, that's, you know, again, three things we know about life. You know, life through death, 
Strength through weakness, success through failure. It's amazing how God operates in the life of a believer. Romans chapter 5, flip there with me real quick. I want to run you through this as much as we can this morning. Sorry that you have other things to do today. I wish you didn't. We could just hang out and just walk through this. And hopefully you just continue to be encouraged and wouldn't go home and watch the news and get depressed and angry and throw things. Romans 5, I want to just tell you this. I was going to tell my wife this. Uh, I, I haven't watched the news at all. My wife, I actually, I had to laugh because she would always tell me, you know, in the past, she's like, honey, can you watch something else? You know, and uh, I just didn't want to know what was going on. I, I was like, you know what? That's why people, man, why are you so happy? Because <laughs> I'm in my own little world. All I know is me and Jesus. I have no idea. And they go, well, you know, uh, Trump didn't win. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I voted, you know, but you go, uh, it, it, like I said, who's in the White House? Not affecting my house in that truest sense. And it shouldn't affect your house either. And if it is, our focus is on the wrong house. You know, we need to, we need to let God peel this back because I can tell you this, this might not be the most encouraging thing I'm going to tell you today, but I'll tell you it's prophetic. And I mean this in the most sincere way. And we can read it and study in second Peter. Okay. This all going to melt in a fervent heat, right? So in the truest sense, things are going to get worse before they get better. Okay. You can mark my words. And you go, oh, I, don't, I don't want to hear that. And you go, well, mark my words. Things are going to get worse before they get better. And as a Christian, that's okay. As a follower of Christ, that's okay. You go, why? Because of everything that we're studying today, to hold on to that. But yes, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Jesus said that. I'm just repeating it. Don't shoot the messenger. That's my, that's my hope. Romans 5, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, okay, this is because of the cross, right? His death on the cross has justified us, just as if we've never sinned because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So we, have, it says, have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, there's the key, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So when does our rejoicing occur? What does Paul tell us there in Romans 5? Our rejoicing occurs immediately. You remember when you got saved? I was asking that last week. When you first got saved and you fell in love with Jesus, or you really came to this comprehension of his love for you, there, there's just a rejoicing that takes place. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I've got this joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? 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 Down in my heart. You go, you know the song. And you go, so... We have a hope. What do you have a hope of what? A future. We have, we have a hope of a future. A future where? Beyond death, beyond the grave. That, that's the first step. That's, that's the, the basic element of the Christian faith is that we understand there's a place, there's a home. It's not this earth. We're pilgrims. That's what Peter's saying. We're pilgrims. We're sojourners. We're passing through. Travel light. Okay. Don't drive your stakes down in the ground. I like those new tents, you know. They have those flex poles in them and they go into little pockets. You don't have to, you know, put pegs into the ground any longer. It's not good if you're not in it and the wind comes along. So you want to get in it if you're going to do that. But that's a whole other sermon all of itself. But look at this, you know, that Paul goes on in verses three through five there in Romans five. He says, and not only that, but we also glory. You want to highlight this glory in what? In tribulation. I think I messed this up here, so. I'm not going to worry about it. Um, it says, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. So, man, there, there's so much that we need to study in this, uh, in our lives, where we are as a people now in this country. And just if you're going through hard things. Like I said, I, I remind you often, you know, that you're either in a trial or you're coming out of a trial or what? Or God's preparing you for a trial. It's just, that's life. This isn't heaven. And we need to be okay with that because God's made a promise. I read it all the time to you. I remind every family at every funeral that we do is the 23rd Psalm. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for what? Thou art with me. God is with you. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He told the church, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, teaching them all that I've instructed you and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he said, and what? Lo, lo, I am with you always. When? Even, he said what? To the end of the age. 
Nobody can make a promise like that to you, but God does. And we're looking, you know, it's the old song, we're looking for love in all the wrong places, you know, instead of just looking to him. So you look at this. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. It's painfully clear from this text, you know, that Christians are to experience suffering. You know, I've yet, probably like you, to meet anyone who reads this text there in Romans 5 and says, yes, yes, we get to suffer. But it's true. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 1.29, he writes it like this. He says, for to you, it's been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his namesake. You know, for some of us, we were taught coming to Christ was going to eliminate all the pain and the suffering. That was a lie from the pit of hell. We were deceived. Some of us have deceived ourselves. We thought, that's how it was supposed to be. No, Scripture teaches the exact opposite of that. And maybe we just don't talk about it enough because people go, I just don't want to hear it. You know, so if I just don't hear it, maybe, you know, no, it doesn't eliminate it. Like I said, all of our lives are touched by sorrow. All of our lives are touched by suffering. All of our lives are touched by pain in varying degrees. The Greek word there for suffering, it's translated tribulation, something that causes distress. And it can range from something that's tiny, minute, everyday, just little annoyances to major disasters that just come out of nowhere in our life. Like I said, we all are going to suffer in varying degrees. We're all going to go through tribulation. That's why I said, you know, the start of this, this message today, you know, be kinder than necessary for everyone is fighting some kind of battle. And man, those are things that we should lock in on as we move forward as a country, that God would work those things deep within our heart, that we would live with that awareness that we're not the only people who suffer. We're not the only people who are dealing with pain. We live in a world that's post-Eden. We don't know perfection. We know hurt. We know sin. We know all shame. We know sorrow. We know all those things. Hebrews 12, 4 puts it like this. It says, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. But nevertheless, afterward, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There you go. Pain, suffering has a purpose in your life. There is rejoicing, it says, that will come. There is an end result of it. It's not in vain. It's not for nothing. You know, I... I I would never have chosen the trials that I've gone through in this life, but I can stand here today and tell you, I wouldn't change a thing. God has been so faithful, so merciful, so gracious through all those things to shape me, to mold me, to change me, but he's never done it through, let me win the lottery. Man, don't you wish that's how he did it? God just, you know, here, just win the lottery. Yeah. You go, no, it's, it's when you get squeezed. It's, it's, the, it's the hurt. It's the sorrow. What gets your attention more? You know, just a nice warm day or a hot stove when you touch it. You know, man, immediately, you know, there's a great book, you know, pain. It's called The Gift That No One, no one Wants. But pain is a gift from God because it tells us there's, there's something going on. There's something more. So the question, the big question this morning here, how do we get to the place where we can rejoice in suffering? Hopefully you're asking yourself that. How do I get to the place where I can rejoice in suffering? Look at Romans 5. This is what I wanted to share with you last week. I was having to stop myself you know, from jumping into this. Like I said, if I could have gotten you to stay here till 3 or 4 o'clock, I could have, but you guys left. So I didn't have a choice. I had to wait till today. Romans 5.3 says, and not only that, says, but we also glory in what? Tribulations, knowing what? That tribulation, it does what? It produces something, right? What does it produce? What does he say? Perseverance. So we glory because we know, Paul says, that our pain and suffering aren't in vain. God's using it for his glory and for our good. So it's our, what does he say? It's our knowing. Our knowing. That, that's the key. Our knowing, our gnosko. That we know, we have knowledge that God is using. So when you suffer and you're in pain, what kicks in? Our knowing. Our knowing that there is a reason, there is a purpose for it. And it produces something in us. There in verse, verse 4, it says, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. So you look at these. You might, if you're a note taker, just write these down. You can study them out for yourself. Take these words. Perseverance, 
or patience. Tribulation or suffering, distress in your life, it does what? It teaches you perseverance or patience. You don't necessarily like it, but that's a good thing. The Greek word literally means to abide under, to stay under the pressure. Pressure. You know, it's usually something we want to escape from, right? But have you ever met somebody who's, who's just cool under pressure? I mean, aren't you glad that, you know, when, if, if something's on fire at your house, the firemen don't come over and they come out and they get out of the truck and all of a sudden they go, ah, oh my gosh, it's on fire. You know, Bob, what are you going to do? I don't know. What are you going to do? The place is burning. You know, and they're just jumping up and down in the front yard. You go, no, that's usually what the homeowner is doing with the garden hose trying to put out, you know, a three alarm fire. Yeah, they don't panic. They've been what? They've been, they've been tried under pressure. I mean, I think back to, you know, because I grew up playing sports. I, I'm not a 49er fan, but I will tell you this. One of the funniest moments, and it just stayed with me all, all this time. 1989, uh, 49ers are playing Cincinnati Bengals for the Super Bowl. There's about three minutes left in the game. And the 49ers are down, I don't even know how many points, down by three points or something. And, and they're just like, you know, you can just see them on the field. These are grown men, big men. 250, 275, 300, 325. And they are shaking in their cleats. And it shows them in a huddle. And you maybe have seen this one where Joe Montana is down on his knee and everybody's standing around him. It's when he throws it. It's called the catch with Dwight Clark, remember, in the back of the end zone. But if you knew the backstory for it, is they call timeout. You know, the Cincinnati Bengals, they're going to freeze, freeze the 49ers, right? So Montana goes to the sideline. So he comes back. He goes like this, and he gets in the huddle, and he's facing the, he's facing the, the goalpost, and, and all the guys in there just looking at him, grown men, like, yo, what are we going to do? And, and Joe, he goes, hey, hey. And he points up in the stands, and everybody turns, and you can see it. If you go back and look, they turn and look, and he goes, isn't that John Candy, the actor? And they turn and look, and they started laughing. And then he calls the play, and he throws a touchdown pass. And they're going, this guy is Mr cool. They called him the king of cool. But you know who the king of cool is? It's Jesus. Talk about under pressure. Perseverance, patience. If you're suffering, and you ask yourself today, could you use a little bit more patience in your life? I mean, are you, you got it down? You go, then God allows us. The best place, you know, for my wife to learn patience, I've learned through the years, is in traffic. Oh, honey, no. Oh, that was mine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, you're just, you know, I, and she knows we have to do this because I'm, I'm just confess, I, I'm, I'm a loser. <laughs> we, we get in traffic and, and I'll lose. So I just, honey, you got to drive. It's the only way I can keep my sanity and we can enjoy, you know, a trip because there's, I, I don't even want to go there. Just, there's a lot of people that need help in the world behind, behind the wheel. I'm not one of them. It's everybody else, right? So type of thing. Patience. How about this? And patience produces what? Character. When you think about character, people go, what does that mean? You know, he was quite a character. You know, Mike's quite a character. That's not what he's talking about. It's called reliability. You might write that down. Suffering produces reliability in your life. What does that mean? means you're put to the test, and you what? You pass it. God allows trials and tribulations, hurts and sorrows and suffering in our life because it tries us. See, when you've been broken enough times, all of a sudden you start figuring out what matters. And like I said, what matters? God matters, the word of God matters, and the souls of people matter. So when people become the thing that matters, and all of a sudden you go, hey, I can become reliable because I'm not pulled apart by all these other things. And that's what happens. Put to the test. What he's talking about there is you're put to the test and you're approved. That's what we want to hear one day when Jesus returns, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy that's prepared for you. For you were faithful with little. And now, boom, the door's open to much. Reliable. Which leads then, which is, this is awesome, to hope. Hope. The Greek word for hope speaks of 
a certainty, not a possibility, okay? The world is optimistic, you might say. People, oh, they're optimistic, but anybody can be optimistic, but not everybody can have hope. It's that surety that it is going to come to pass. And we know that from Hebrews 11.1. 1. Not wishful thinking, not a positive thought, but a confident anticipation that goodness is coming. That goodness is coming. And guess what? You can build your life upon it. That's the hope that the Bible talks about. My wife had told me about a, a book and I, I purchased it. It's called All Things New by John Eldridge. And I uh, really have enjoyed it. I'm just getting into it, but I really have, have appreciated it. And um, he writes this regarding hope. He said, how you envision your future impacts your current experience more than anything else. Children starting the long school year feel very differently about walking each morning than those who know the summer vacation is just a few days away. Imagine that first day of school, I could picture that. Oh, God, you know. But then the last day, <laughs> it's like you can't wait. Or the woman recently served divorce papers feels very differently about her life than the woman who wakes up the day before her wedding. How we feel about our future has enormous consequences for our hearts now. If you knew that God was going to restore your life and everything you love any day, if you believed a great and glorious goodness was coming to you, not a vague heaven, but right here on earth, you would have a hope to see, a hope to see you through anything. You would have an anchor for your soul. That's what Hebrews 6.19 says. An unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. Hebrews 6.19. And what does Paul say? Go back to Romans there, chapter 5. It's not just a hope, but it's a hope that doesn't disappoint. Romans 5.5. 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So what is suffering then? Suffering is the evidence of God's love, not the absence of it. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. And then verse 11, it goes on. It says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So it's not saying that, it's, you know, on the impact of, of pain, you know, it's not like you somebody hits you and you go, oh, thank you. That's not what it's saying at all. No, it's going to hurt. That's what scripture says. It's going to be painful. But afterwards, 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 keep moving forward with it. Paul in, Roman 8, in Romans 8, 18, he would say this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I mean, think about this. If you're not in Christ today, this is as good as it gets. That's pretty sad. But if you're a believer in Jesus, guess what? This is really in the true sense. This world is as bad as it gets because it's going to get better. It's going to get worse before it gets better, but it's going to get better. That, that's what we look at the end of it. The end result of it, it's going to get better. How do I know? Revelation 21, 1 through 5 says, Now I saw, John said, a new heaven and a new earth. It's not just about heaven. It's about earth. Being restored. All the things that we lost. Think about the, you know, I'll be doing a study in Job. Just to, in writing, doing devotionals. I'm taking this thought and just building on it. God restored to him what? Double everything that he lost. On earth. You know, it's not just about heaven. It's all the things. There's a total restoration. We serve a God of restoration. He said, I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had been passed away and there was no more seed. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will, and look at this, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are what? True and faithful. So let's wrap this back up. Go back to 1 Peter 3, 18. Look at the last part of that. And 
we call it C. First Peter 3.18c, it says, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And, you know, what this isn't saying is that Jesus was made alive by the Holy Spirit here. You know, in our translations, you know, we see it as a capital S. That might, maybe you have that in, in your Bible. But in the Greek language, there's not a big S or a little s. They're all lowercase. And there's definitely, there's no definite article in the Greek language. So maybe the best translation we, we could say here is being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in spirit, not referring to the Holy Spirit, but his own personal spirit. Jesus physically died, right? We, we get that. We understand that. This is where the, the text gets complex here. But while his flesh was dead, his spirit was very much alive, active, and very busy. This was where I was telling you, uh, Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, he once said this with regard to 1 Peter 3. He said, a wonderful text is this, and more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for certainty what Peter means. So I figure if Martin Luther's not really clear on it, I feel okay. Not really clear on it, okay? But we do know that something transpired between Jesus' death and his resurrection. We read a couple different passages, one in uh, Ephesians 4, and then we see this reference here. In verse 21. So Jesus obviously has a sermon to preach. He's got an announcement to make. And in, in verse 19, it says, by whom he also went and he preached to the spirits in prison. So the spirits in prison here, he didn't go to hell. We, we, we know that. But he goes, he, he didn't like go to hell and preach to like some would say that he preached to the lost there and he gave him a second chance. No, the Bible says, if you die, without receiving Jesus Christ. There is no remission, no forgiveness of sin. There's no second chance. There's no purgatory. There's, you know, I mean, you need to make a decision today for Jesus to walk with him, to receive the forgiveness of your sin. So what he's talking about there, th that word spirits in the New Testament, it either refers to, to angels or to demons. So between the death of, of Christ on the cross and his resurrection on the third day, he goes into the spirit realm and he visits them. In Acts 2.27, Peter says that Jesus went to Hades, not hell, but Hades, the abode of the dead, the abode of the spirits. He says, and he, and he quotes, he says, and you will not leave his soul in Hades, nor will you allow the Holy One to see corruption. So it's not that he was, he was again, he's not there four days. Remember, Lazarus was there, you know, four days. And it says, and he what? Stinketh, okay? There was a reason for three days. So what's the message? You know, we're not really sure what the message is, you know, but I, I believe that Jesus wanted the demons of hell to know that the party was over. He wanted them to know that they had been defeated. See, they're not, they're not omniscient. They're not all knowing. Okay. They're created beings, but they, they thought, you know, they'd seen what death had done and they thought with Jesus dead that it was over and that it was done. I wanted to finish the, the service today. Uh, it's kind of a unique way. I don't normally do this, but as I was praying about this, the Lord reminded me of a song. Uh, it was a video. Uh, how many remember the artist Carmen? That you're old enough in Jesus to remember Carmen. Well, Carmen sang a song called Sunday's Coming. And I think it really kind of encapsulates everything that Peter's talking about here of what transpired in, you know, in this, this moment between the when we talk about the death and his burial and his resurrection of what took place there and, and why uh, I, I wanted you to hear this is because again, we, we all hurt, we all deal with pain we all deal with sorrow. We all go through trials and we all go through tribulations in this life. And what we need to be reminded of and what we need to constantly remind each other of is Sunday's coming, right? Sunday's coming. It, and, and it's knowing that it's having that hope that there's a better day. That's what gets you through, because I can tell you this, you know, I've said it to you many times. A man can go six weeks without food. At least that's what they say. Six days without water. Six minutes without oxygen. But a man can't go six seconds without hope. And Jesus provides us that hope. And so if you're at home, you can go to YouTube and you can type in Carmen, Sunday's coming. You can watch this because we can't show this because if we show this, then we get kicked off the internet. 
um, you know, but we can show it here so you guys could watch it at home. And I'm going to then invite the uh, worship team to come up and we'll send you out with a song and we'll close in prayer. But, but listen to this song and hopefully it, it takes what I've been talking about today and it puts it in a place for you that it fills your heart with the hope that God wants us to have as we leave this place today. So go ahead and pull that up and show it. It's about six minutes. I think it's well worth it. Never known a man as remembered with deep conviction. It was the three days that Christ lay dead after a brutal crucifixion.